Okay, about four or five of you. Okay, it's been in the bulletin. So, um, all right. Is it, trying to think exactly how do you title a message like this? Uh, what is the, how do you title a message? So I just thought, okay, I'll just pick this. Uh, do alcohol and the church mix? Do alcohol and the church mix? Could have gone with several titles, I don't know, but this is one that seemed to hit. Um, if, if you want to follow along, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. Some of you may never have known that this verse is in the Bible, but Proverbs chapter 23, uh, starting with verse 29, it will be on the screen, but some of you I know like to follow along. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Let me just say up front that out of all of the hot topic issues out there in the church today, this has to be right at the top. has to be right at the top. I recently read in a Christianity Today magazine that was written a couple years ago, back in August of 2013, They reported that the Moody Bible Institute lifted its alcohol and tobacco ban for its 600 full-time employees. Following recent similar moves by Wheaton College, Huntington University, and Asbury Seminary, Moody spokesperson Brian Regeneris said, quote, We are giving employees the freedom that God gives them. We trust that they have the wisdom and the spiritual maturity to make appropriate choices for their lives in the communities in which they are a part. End quote. He also said that Moody is not advocating alcohol use, but some conservative Christians are. Ben Smith, co-founder of Reclamation Brewing Company in Butler, Pennsylvania, has said that for far too long, American evangelicals have talked more about the evils of alcohol than its potential benefits. For Smith and others, craft beer is an art to be enjoyed like all of God's gifts. Peter Green, whose Ph.D. research at Wheaton College focuses on the theological significance of wine and vineyard themes in Scripture, 
and says that the Bible presents alcoholic drinks as an indicator and facilitator of human and divine relationships. As troubling as these types of comments may be to hear, what's even more concerning is how silent the church has been on this topic down through the years. Now, what I'm about to share with you today, I need to let you know, they are what I and the church of God believe to be scriptural truth on this topic. And is it not truth that we seek this morning? I say, is it not truth that we seek this morning? I believe that truth will be found if we approach it with a humble heart and a teachable spirit. We can find truth on topics such as these. Let me just make some clarification statements up front. I am not judging anyone's soul. That is not up to us. That is only up to God. However, as always, you must not rely solely on what I say or on what any one person says, but you must allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you. My only request this morning is that you listen with an open heart with an open mind, and that you would allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. So with that said, and with as much love and compassion as I can muster, and regardless of what you've heard or what you think you've heard or what you've been taught, let me just state that my opinion and the Church of God Anderson, Indiana, Church of God Reformation Movement, we believe that our position that there is no justification in Scripture or anywhere else in Scripture for the consumption of alcohol for believers. Do I need to say that again or did you get that the first time? We do not believe that there is justification for alcohol consumption in the life of a believer. Let me give you some stats that some of you may have heard. 86.8% of adults 18 years or older reported that they have drank alcohol at some point in time in their life. Let that number just sink in for a second. 86.8. That means 8 out of, a, eight out of 10 adults have consumed alcohol at one point in time in their life. 16.6 million people have some form of an alcohol disorder. Out of that 16.6 million, 697,000 are kids between the ages of 12 and 17. God help us. Approximately 88,000 people die every year from alcohol-related causes making it the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. 30% of all driving fatalities were caused by alcohol. 43% of all people have had or have a family member who is an alcoholic. We know that alcohol is a gateway drug. It is one of the first things used uh, on the way to harder drugs. 
Nine million teenagers currently are on their way to becoming alcoholics, while 20 million of their parents, while 20 million of moms and dads are already alcoholics in the world today. 88% of Catholics say that they drink. 71% of Protestants say that they drink. Drinking and social drinking has been ever so slowly creeping its way into the church that I believe it no longer needs to hide. And is it any wonder that we continue to raise up generation after generation who have accepted this practice because our children look to us as adults, as mentors, whether we really realize that or not? And is it any wonder, because the kids will look at us as as adults in the church and leaders in the church, kids will even look at pastors in the church and say, well, if they can do it, so can I. Today I'm going to cover, I have a lot of ground to cover, so just bear with me, but today I'm going to cover topics such as the various kinds of wine in the Bible, the process of making fermented wine, some of the more popular biblical stories used to support the consumption of alcohol. I'm going to talk about probably one of the main excuses to uh, justify alcohol. Did you realize that there are 627 references to alcohol in the Bible? I'm talking about alcohol. 627 references to alcohol in the Bible. Three, three of those 627 could be interpreted in different ways. Just three. Leaving the rest of the 624, they're all warning after warning after warning to stay away. And it talks about the dangers of alcohol. But yet millions of people ignore, they, they focus on those three that, that could be interpreted different ways, and they ignore the 624 warnings about this topic. One of the things that we need to realize is back in the, uh, the ancient day, the importance of water. Water um, was the source of life for many back then. It is today. What would we do without water? But Back in those days, water, I mean, you know, you couldn't just go to your sink 2,000 years ago and just open up the spigot and get water. You couldn't go to a water fountain. You, you couldn't go to your local Walmart and just get a bunch of bottles of water. Water was very precious. It was very important for the sustenance of life. And the purification of water, having good, clean, pure water, was very difficult to find at times. So the juice... Um, the beverage of the grape became very crucial for people just to have that which to take. The various wines 2,000 years ago, and this is very important for us to understand, some of what I'm doing today is going to be preaching and some of it's going to be teaching. Let me teach just a little bit here this morning. Through biblical sources as well as non-biblical sources, We know that not every reference to wine in the Bible is an intoxicating alcoholic drink. Did you hear what I just said? Every reference to wine in the Bible is not an intoxicating, fermented, alcoholic drink. Professor Samuel Lee from Cambridge University says the word wine 
had multiple meanings thousands of years ago, at the time of Jesus, before and after that. The first kind is a thick, non-intoxicating jelly or jam. Whenever they pressed the grape, they would take the grapes and they would press it and they would squeeze it. The first kind of wine that was produced was a thick, non-intoxicating jelly or jam. It was stored in bottles or uh, sacks made of animal skins in order to prevent fermentation. This thick jelly or jam was used much like we use it today. It was used on their bread at that time. A second kind of wine, again, these are all different kinds of wines that was described. The second is the grape juice or the sweet wine. This is a crucial point to get here. Aristotle said that the time of Jesus, this sweet wine was called glucose. And it was not intoxicating. Those are Aristotle's words, not mine. From that first kind of wine, the thick, non-intoxicating jelly or jam, water could be added to that in which it would make a very sweet drink, a very sweet juice that was very desirable at the time. This kind of wine, this kind of juice was so desirable. Now follow me on this. It was so desirable that many times it was called the best wine. It was called the best wine. Remember that point right there. Author of the Bible Dictionary, Augustine Comet said, quote, The ancients possessed the secret of preserving wine sweet throughout the whole year. Ancient writer Horace, who lived in 65 B.C., said this, quote, The unintoxicating wine was the best wine. It was the best wine. And there is a third kind of wine that we all are aware of. It's that fermented, intoxicating, alcoholic drink. However, it was more bitter and hard. It would not be considered sweet because the process of making alcohol removes the sweetness from the grape. So no one can say that all the biblical references to wine is in reference to a fermented, intoxicating drink. Let me talk just for a little bit about the process of making alcohol. We have to, in order to have a full understanding of this topic, you need to dive into this just a little bit. But hear me out on this. There are specific steps that must be taken in order to create a drinkable, fermented, intoxicating drink. There are specific steps that must be taken. The first is that the surrounding atmosphere and the environment and the temperatures now, this is to create an alcoholic drink. The atmosphere, the atmosphere and the environment and the temperatures must be controlled. Some of the articles that I've read and studying this say that um, uh, getting the exact temperature is of utmost importance. It is the single greatest factor in creating alcohol. Either way, it is an exact science and process. Secondly, there is a key component when making a fermented drink, and that is the ingredient of yeast, of yeast. 
Now, yeast is actually what you see there to your right. It's actually a fungus. Most of you know that. Those of you who cook have to have yeast when you cook bread. But yeast is a fungus, and it's used as a leavening agent as we cook, and especially in the baking of bread. But get this. In the Bible, yeast has always been a symbol of sin. It's always been a symbol of sin. Why is that? You've heard that in the Bible it says that it only takes a little bit of yeast to mix through the whole dough in order for the dough to rise. It just takes a little bit of yeast. So too it takes just a little bit of sin in order to affect one's entire being. Nearly all the Old Testament offerings to God were void of yeast. They were told not to have yeast because yeast is symbolic of sin. But when making alcohol, yeast is a must. And thirdly, here is a a point that I believe is very crucial in this. In addition to the temperature and the environment being just so, just right, and in addition to yeast being added, for the juice to ferment, the chemicals and the properties of the grape must break down over time. In other words, the chemicals and the properties must die. There must be a rotting take place. There must be a decomposition that takes place in the process. What point am I making here? The process of making alcohol does not begin with life. It begins with death. Does this sound like something that our Lord and our God is going to endorse and is going to create? I don't think so. Our God is the creator of of life. He's the sustainer of life. He creates it. He came to bring life and life more abundantly. Why would Jesus endorse anything that involves the process of decomposition? Jesus is not going to give his stamp of approval to anything that involves death or decomposition. So much so, so much so that God would not even allow his own son to see decay. Remember that verse in Acts when Jesus died? It says that God raised him whose body did not see decay. Remember that verse? That verse in Acts 13:37. God raised Jesus in whose body did not see decay. Listen, the natural process of grapes just... Some people maybe, maybe have the concept of, well, you know, uh, just let a grape sit long enough and, and let the juice sit long enough and it's just going to become alcohol. That's not true. That's not true. The natural process of grapes sitting long enough over time will not produce a drinkable alcohol. It's just going to, it's just going to create moldy, sour grapes. And to think that God created a natural process for this, I thought about this. Whenever you take a grape off the vine, you take it off the stem, and you just put it in your mouth, and you, and you bite it, do you get a fermented alcohol buzz? No. You get a sweet, flavorful taste, don't you? 
that which is natural, which comes off the vine. You don't get a natural fermented drink. And here's the point I want to make about this before we go on. God did not create a natural process that makes fermented juice. The only way that alcohol and intoxicating drinks can be made is through a precise man-made process. You hear me on that? I didn't think I was going to get a bunch of amens during this message, but I'm going to preach the truth no matter what, folks, okay? It is through a natural, it is, it is unnatural, it is the only way that it's possible is through a precise, man-controlled, man-made process. <laughs> Some of you may be thinking, well, pastor, what about this story? Or what about that story? Or what about this in the Bible? Let's explore a few of them. I believe this is truth, but again, let me remind you, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Verify what I'm saying in the Word, but go to the Word. Some people want to know about the Last Supper. Was it not wine, the alcoholic, intoxicating drink that Jesus served to his disciples? Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that what Jesus offered his disciples that night, nowhere does it say that it was alcohol. Matter of fact, if you look in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it doesn't talk about this occasion in the book of John, but just in the first three Gospels, it does not say anything about alcohol. The only thing that it says is that from the fruit of the vine. From the fruit of the vine. As a matter of fact, Jesus used the juice to make reference to his blood that could be shed for all of mankind. To assume that he used an intoxicating drink, a drink produced by the process of decomposition, to think that he used that drink to make the comparison with his own blood would make, the mo- would make a mockery out of what happened on the cross. Make a mockery of it. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm just going to go into this. For those of you who like to take notes and like to get into a little bit of the history of it, if you remember that the night that God delivered the Israelites, the Hebrew children, from Pharaoh, that was the night of the first Passover. If you remember, they were told that whenever they ate their last meal and the lamb and all that, they had to put the blood over the doorpost. They also had to eat their bread without what? Yeast. They, they, they could not have, it had to be unleavened bread. That was what God instructed them. And ever since then, every year, the, the, the Jewish people, they commemorate the time of Passover. Every year they celebrate that, they have a meal, and every time they have to have unleavened bread. What kind of bread do you think that Jesus ate with his disciples that night of the Last Supper? Their bread was unleavened bread. So why would it make sense that because they're, not, they're going to eat bread that's unleavened, but all of a sudden he's going to serve drink that's alcoholic drink that has yeast in it, that has a, a rising agent. It, folks, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it would make a mockery of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the big one. Some of you are going to say, Pastor Brock, what about when Jesus turned water into wine? Again, nowhere in scriptures does it say that Jesus turned water into alcohol or a fermented drink. And this is kind of exciting to me. Knowing, we've already talked about it, knowing that there are various kinds of non-intoxicating wines. 
And having, having just talked about the process of how fermented drink is made, the question begs to be asked this morning, what exactly did he produce? What did he produce? You know the story. Jesus and his disciples showed up at the wedding at Cana. They were out of their wine. They were out of their drink. And they went to Jesus. And Jesus said, why do you come to me, mother? My time has not yet come, but he obliged and he turned the water into wine. And look what it says in John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Ah, chapter 2, 9 and 10. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water of wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. You get what I'm saying? I don't know if you can see that. Okay, I didn't give you enough room on there. But it says you have have kept the best wine until now. We talked about this just a little while ago. What did they call the best wine? The grape juice, the sweet wine that was produced, that which was unintoxicating. This is what I believe Jesus made at the wedding of Canaan. This is what the master of ceremonies there said is what Jesus created. Some still may have doubts. To that I would say, you mean to tell me that what Jesus made that day is the same thing that has caused countless countless mothers and fathers to collapse on the floor when the highway trooper comes in the middle of the night and knocks on their door? You mean to tell me that what Jesus made that day at the wedding was the same thing that has caused countless men and women to wake up the next day, not knowing what took place the night before, not having no idea, but they know that it was not good, but they can't remember. That's the same thing that my Jesus created that day? You mean to tell me that the same uh, wine that Jesus made that day at the, at the wedding is the same thing that has caused countless, countless wives and abused children to run and hide in the house because daddy's just come home from the bar. No way. No way. No one will ever convince me that Jesus became just a glorified bartender that day at the wedding. That is not my Jesus. That is not my Lord. That is not my Redeemer. That is not the one who saves us and cleans us up, church. Believe that. That's not my Jesus. Listen, I believe that if Jesus had produced an intoxicating drink that day at the wedding, King Solomon could have come back from the dead and he would have had to rebuke Jesus because King Solomon said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Habakkuk would have had to come back from the dead and would have rebuked Jesus because he said in Habakkuk 2.15, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. Look at that first word, woe. Do you know what the word woe means? It means cursed. Habakkuk would have called Jesus, you are cursed, you are damned because of what you did here. 
this day. Hebrews 4.14 tells us that Jesus, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why do I bring that up? It tells us that Jesus is our high priest who takes away the sin of the world. But if Jesus would have endorsed, if he would have created an intoxicating drink, then he is not our high priest. Because back in Leviticus, when God was instructing Aaron and Moses how their priests should conduct themselves, look what he said. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and unclean. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Let me talk about really something that is used a lot with this topic. And it's that word right there. How many of you have heard that? Many believe that it's perfectly okay to have an occasional drink or two. Again, folks, I'm not the judge. You've got to, you, you've got to figure this out, but let me, let me say this. I don't have the verse, but it's a verse. The Bible says that you must seek out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. I could, I could go off on that for about another five or ten minutes. This is serious stuff that we're talking about. But let's talk about this for a few moments. Many will say, well, I can handle it because I don't get drunk or I don't overindulge and all things done in moderation, right? All things done in moderation. And there, look, there are some people that live by that code. Uh, some people who are earnestly, perhaps honestly, trying to serve the Lord. They've accepted Jesus as their Savior, and, and maybe God hasn't really revealed this yet to them. Uh, you know, God in, in his own time will reveal this to them. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians six twelve, he said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What is he saying there? Notice that Paul never said in this verse that we could do all things as long as it's done in moderation. That's not what he said. He was saying because that we are no longer bound to the law, we have freedom in Jesus Christ. And if you've been in our Wednesday night studies, we've been talking about the law of liberty. Uh, Jesus Christ now gives us liberty, the freedom to live as we so choose. But, but hear me on that. That freedom does not give us liberty to do whatever we want. As a matter of fact, what I believe this verse means is that we now have a greater sense of responsibility. We need to have a greater sense of being careful so as to not jeopardize this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. That's why seek out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is true that small quantities may not be harmful or addictive. I too have heard 
and read the stories where a little bit of wine could be healthy for the bottle, body, bottle. <laughs> Strike that. Uh, a little bit of wine is healthy for the body. You've also heard Paul tell Timothy a little bit of wine for the stomach can cause... Look, let me just say something with that as far as health reasons. In our modern day, with all of the medical technology that we have, with all of the vitamins and the nutritious foods that we have, we can no longer say that we have to go to the bottle in order to be healthy. We just write and take care of our bodies and we'll take care of those things. And enough medical advice out there. I've heard of all of those of all of those things. And really, we're probably where most all have weaknesses. Okay? We all have weaknesses. Every single one of us are prone to various shortcomings. We're prone to certain... We all, every single one of us in here this morning, we all have weaknesses. Okay? We all have weaknesses. Every single one of us are prone to various shortcomings. We're prone to certain dispositions or certain failings. Some about this long ago. Some things are even linked to that right there. Our genetics. Our genetics. We talked a few weeks ago about depression. And some people are just more prone genetically to uh, a depression. More and more medical studies are proving that some may be genetically prone, susceptible to things like depression, and yes, even alcohol. Studies have shown that about 40% of alcoholism is caused by a genetic condition or disorder. Now, this does not give anyone a free pass, just can't help it. I was just made that way. We all still have free will. We all still have choice and the ability to tap into our Savior to help us with our weaknesses. But folks, we can't ignore this genetic fact. Listen, every one of you here, someone is watching your life. We are all witnesses to those around us, our family members, our workers, our co-workers. Romans 14.21, It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. I know some of you are saying, okay, well, he just told us now I can't eat meat. You have to look at the context of what that verse is. That's not what this is talking about. But what I want you to understand is that we all have a responsibility to make sure that the way we are living is not causing anyone to stumble. Amen? It's not causing anyone to stumble. But look at this. Oh, God, help us with this. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18? I'm sorry if you can't see it. Whoever causes, Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better of him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe, remember that word woe, woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. O oh, mom and dad, how are we living in front of our kids? What kind of witness, what kind of testimony are we giving to our kids? You know, mom and dads, you may not be prone to alcoholism, but you'll never know if that child of yours has that weakness. 
You'll never know if that grandchild or if that friend or that co-worker or that neighbor who sees you have just an occasional drink, you never know if they'll say, well, if mom and dad can do it, I can do it. And you'll never know if that is their problem, if that's going to be their weakness. It breaks my heart every time I go out into a, a restaurant and I see a mother and a father, they have alcoholic drinks and there are their young kids sitting right there beside them. It just breaks my heart. And what about our friends and our co-workers, our neighbors and our church friends? We all know that it only takes one drink, that one sip, and your child, your friend, or your family member could be hooked for life. Listen, the things that we do in moderation, others may do in excess. The things that, think about that, the things that we do in moderation, you never know who around us will do in excess. Are you willing to risk the life and the souls of your family and friends just because you believe all things in moderation? Let's take that mantra for just a second. All things in moderation. What exactly does that mean? All things, does that mean that it's okay to have moderation in pornography? Is it okay to have moderation in heroin? Is it okay to have moderation in how we lie to people or if we lie to people how about being moderate or moderation in adultery so you just can't have it one way in one area of your life you can have it another way in another area who determines what that line of moderation is at what point does one cross the line with alcohol that mindset is a mindset that says i just wonder how close to the line i can get and still be considered a christian For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. And you shall be holy to me. For I the Lord am holy. And have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Let me give you some more. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Look, church, we are called to be holy. We are called to be and live separate from the world. Maybe this is the first time you've heard a message like this. I don't know. But I can tell you that every that I read and everything that I have learned during my 40 plus years of walking with the Lord, I truly believe that issues like this, which I admit must be settled individually, but I believe issues like this comes down to just how close to God do we really want to be? Just how close to Jesus do we want to be? God has told us in His Word in 1 John, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world, or the love of the Father is not in you. God has called us to be separate, consecrated, different, to be peculiar people for Him. Now, let me just, and I'm going to wind this down here in just a few moments, but let me just say that today's topic is not just limited to alcohol. It's not just limited to alcohol. 
You see, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 23.20 says this, Do not mix with wine bibbers. I guess that must be an alcoholic or drunkard. I don't know. A wine bibber. Then it says, Or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. Look, some people, people may have never put a drop of alcohol into their bodies, but they will eat whatever they want to eat, whenever they want to eat, however much they want to eat. This is just not about alcohol. We could, some people could say, well, what about how you eat or the gluttonous or the, um, you know what I'm trying to say here. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We could go off on different kinds of topics. But I'll ask this morning, church, what has happened to the church? We've drifted and we've let down our standards. And if there is anything in our life that could hinder our walk with Jesus Christ, we need to get rid of it. We need to cast it away. We don't even want to be associated with it. Turn away from it. Run as far away as we can. For we are called, church of the living God, to be holy people for God. Holy people for God. A pure people, an upright people. And I believe that there should be a difference in the way that we live out in the world. Amen? There should be a difference. People should look at us and say, why don't they do this? Why aren't they drinking that? Why aren't they telling those kind of jokes? I told that joke, but they're not laughing. Why aren't they laughing at that? They're not lying. They, they, don't, they don't lie the, the way that the rest... Of, what's wrong with those people? No, the question is, what is right with those people? Listen, alcohol has one assignment, and that is destruction. It's a depression that should be avoided at all costs. Show me one family who, where alcohol has made a positive difference into where they look like Christ, and I'll show you thousands more who have lost everything because of it. Many look to alcohol to numb and dull their pain and sorrow, but Jesus said, Come to me, all ye that are weary and that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Only Jesus can lift one up from the deep, miry clay, and set our feet on the solid rock to stay. Today it's almost hip to be a social drinker in the church. Many say that things like wine coolers and other things like that, they rela- it relaxes them, it, cause, it calms them, it gives them a relaxing high or an a buzz. But I say let Jesus be your high. Let Him be the one that gives you the buzz of soul that you need. Don't lose yourself in drinking, lose yourself in Jesus Christ this morning. You will find that He is all that you need. He is more than enough. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength today church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Mandy, come on up. I don't know what song she has picked, but we're just going to close here shortly. Listen, I don't need alcohol to fit in. I already fit in because I'm a child of God. I don't need that stuff to feel free since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy have come over my soul like the sea billows Roll since Jesus has come into my heart. I don't need that stuff to feel alive because Jesus' love has lifted me when nothing else could help, when the bottle could not help, when that wine cooler could not help. The love of Jesus set me free because His love lifted me.
Praise the Lord. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't need that stuff. Dalton, you don't need it anymore, do you? You've been set free. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Look, this is not some 100-year-old, out-of-date, church of God message. I believe this is the pure Word of God. I believe this is the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit-filled highway of holiness message that will not only stand the test of time, this is the message that will take you on to glory, church. And I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Praise God. Would you bow your heads, please? God, who... Lord, one of my biggest fears going into this message was for people to think that I'm judging their souls or that people who have not really studied this or who have not had you, Holy Spirit, to convict them, they want them to think that I'm trying to damn them. Lord, I'm not. Lord, I believe that there are those that that are out there that that love you, that um, want to serve you and Lord, maybe they've never really given consideration to this topic, but Lord, it's something that must be preached on. It's something that, the, the, Lord, we've let the standards down for far too long. God, what has happened to the days when we used to have these Sunday blue laws? They're gone. Many of those things are gone. God, may we be people who are set apart, people who are different people who are holy, people who will raise the standard back up and say, as for me in my house, as for me, as for us in the Barsmill Church of God, we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to take His Word and apply it. Let it be a difference in our life. Thank you, God. Speak to us, Lord. Or maybe there's those in our family, our friends or co-workers that we know uh, need help with this. May your will be done in our life. May we be sensitive to you and your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?